All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 28, beginning at verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophet. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went. And two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? The woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of, the, of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength left in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in your hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please, heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you, and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way." But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. 
Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord and let's pray that God might grant us wisdom and understanding of it. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come to study this passage today, one which is deeply concerning on so many levels, we pray that you would grant us wisdom. We pray that you would grant us insight to it. We pray that we might learn from this terrible model that Saul sets for us, how to live in holiness and righteousness before your face all of our days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, those of you who have seen the bulletin will see that I've titled the sermon today An Average Incident. Now, I apologise for the title, An Average Incident, when it's all about Saul going and seeing a medium. I might have been a little bit too punny with that one. I was going off the medium average thing there. And I said, don't do it, Callum. I said, I think it's good. Anyway, we, we look at this and we can, we can make word plays about this situation we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 28. But what we see here is an incident that, that really isn't particularly average. What we see here is an incredibly subpar event taking place and sequence of events taking place. We see incredibly concerning things, not only for, for Saul's life, but also for all of Israel. And of course, we read this within the, uh, the context of following on what we've just seen of David. David from chapter 27 verse 1 through to chapter 28 verse 2 has left Israel. David has gone to live with the Philistines. He has withheld his counsel from God's people. He has not trusted God's counsel. He has sought to follow his own wisdom. And Saul is about to make a massively unwise decision to seek out a medium. This is the scene before us. This is a scene that when we lay it all out like that doesn't exactly fill us with much hope or optimism, does it? Things are not good. Now, while Saul is going to make a hugely unwise decision and while there is absolutely nothing that excuses Saul's behaviour in seeking out a medium, someone who contacts the the spirits of the dead, we need to, to give some fairness to Saul in this monumental blunder. We need to be fair to him according to how the author presents Saul here. And to affirm the fact that there are no excuses for Saul, verse 3 tells us that Saul was the one who was meant to have driven out all of the mediums and all of the spiritists from the land. He didn't. He was unfaithful in that role. And of course, Saul makes a decision. And decisions are not made within the context of a vacuum. There are stimulus that lead to us making a decision. I'll often be sitting on the couch at home at night, getting a little bit hungry. This is after dinner. And I'll say to Anna, Anna, I'm hungry. I'm going to go down the road to 7-Eleven and get a Krispy Kreme. Now, Anna very wisely says, no, I don't think you should do that. And I listen to her most of the time. But... uh, What's led to me making that decision? What's led to me making that decision is that I'm hungry and I've had Krispy Kremes before and I know they're amazing. 
and because they're not donuts, they're pastries, they should be healthy for you. <laughs> Perhaps we feel boredom coming on, although as Peter Muller reminded us on Wednesday night, only boring people get bored. So may, hopefully you don't feel boredom coming on, but maybe you feel boredom coming on. There, there's something happening or inactivity is happening, so you choose to do something to deal with it. There are very rarely decisions made with no stimulus lead to it. So what's happening for Saul? Well, the situation is revealed in verses 4 to 6. The Philistines, and we know David's with them, Israel might not know yet that David is with them. The Philistines are marching against Israel. They encamp at Shunem, having come up the coast road, we would understand that geographically. They're there on the high ground. That ground which, as we saw in the children's talk, recognised for for over 2,000 years of military history as being supremely advantageous. There is a threat coming against Israel. Now Saul, to his credit, has done the right thing in getting the armies of Israel together. He has gathered the fighting men of Israel. He brings them together at Gilboa. They're there, ready to fight. And then they see the Philistines. And Saul's heart trembled greatly. Saul needed advice. Saul felt he needed counsel, so he went and sought counsel from God. Now, of course, God has become increasingly displeased with Saul. And in this situation, Saul seems just to be using God as a, a genie to grant his wishes. It's a matter of convenience for Saul right now to seek counsel from God, so he does. But he doesn't seek counsel from God in other times, does he? It's a matter of convenience. And God has previously said to Saul, I'm removing my counsel from you. Words to that effect, which Samuel alludes to when he speaks to Saul in this chapter. There is silence. There is no counsel from God. I don't imagine that would have helped Saul's greatly troubled heart to feel at ease, do you? Things aren't getting any better. Probably racking his brain. What do I do? My army is presumably smaller based on the response to seeing the Philistines, perhaps both physically and numerically. We're in a worse position. What do we do? What do I do? Way back in chapter 9, Samuel had basically told Saul what it was to lead. He told him a series of things that he was to go and do. One of them being, do what your hand finds for you to do. While God hasn't spoken to Saul, it's very clear what Saul is meant to do. He is meant to stand with the men and fight the Philistines. And he should, as an Israelite, turn to God and trust God, but rather than treat God as just a convenience, let's get some information when I need it package. But Saul feels he he needs more direction. It's clear what his responsibility is to stand and fight, but he feels he needs more direction. He is a king who who seems here to not really have a backbone for making the tough calls. Verse 5. 
Perhaps he's seeking an out in this situation. Perhaps he's looking for a way to avoid the battle. Maybe we'll get word to fall back to someplace a little bit better. But he needs somebody to tell him what to do, so he goes and seeks out a medium. And one of his men finds one in a place called Endor, which is not the Star Wars planet where Luke blew up the Death Star. This is a town in Israel. There is a medium in Endor. Now, verse 7, it doesn't seem to take the men long to find this medium, does it? The battle hasn't even started yet. But almost immediately, we know where someone like that is who can help you out. What a great job Saul did doing what he was, should have done, we're told in verse 3. Wiping these people out of the land. In almost no time, there's one you can go to right here. Saul knows why these people were driven out of the land. Saul knows the sinfulness of the medium and the spiritus. He knows why he was tasked with driving them out of the land. But that doesn't stop him from disguising himself, from taking two men and going at night to seek this medium. Now, when it says Saul disguised himself, I wonder whether he might have walked with a bit of a hunch because maybe he was taller than everyone else in the land of Israel, but the medium didn't recognise him straight away. Perhaps there was a, a fairly elaborate disguise that he's using here. Goes and he talks to this medium, the medium who remains nameless throughout this passage. And the medium says, is this a trap? Not recognising him, Saul drove, he was, he was driving all of my kind, all those people in my line of work, He was driving us all out of the land. Is this a trap? Are you just going to dob me in if I do this for you? Verse 10, Saul's response, he swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment will fall upon you. Do you think that's exactly a promise Saul can make? Swearing by the God who had given the command to drive mediums out of the land that no harm would come to her? He is just so far off the rails. It's well packaged. It's well packaged words, but it's just wrong. These mediums had been driven out of the land for a good reason, which Matthew Henry summarizes it very well when he says. All real or pretended witchcraft or conjuration, even just pretending these things is a sin against God, all real or practiced witchcraft or conjuration is a malicious or an ignorant attempt to gain knowledge or help from some creature. Not God, some creature. When it cannot be had from the Lord in the path of duty. Go back to the path of Saul's duty. Stand with the men and fight. That was his duty. God has withheld counsel from him, so he goes to some creature to seek help. Perhaps he really is just trying as hard as he can to get out of this battle. Now, Saul was promised, even though he was in no position to make this promise of no punishment coming to this medium seems to assure the medium, and she asks, who do you want me to conjure up for you? Who, whose spirit will I call up for you? 
and he, he asks for Samuel. Now, this is a story that, that many of us have read. We're probably familiar with Saul going to the medium. He asks to speak to Samuel. Samuel comes and he speaks to him. But doesn't it strike you as odd that he asks for Samuel? Think about the whole Saul and Samuel dynamic that we've seen. Samuel anointed Saul and Saul tried to say, no, I don't want that. Didn't really listen to Samuel there. Samuel told Saul to stand with the men while they drew lots to to confirm that Saul was anointed. Saul went and hid with the luggage. Didn't listen to Samuel's advice there. Samuel said in chapter 13, wait for me to come to you before I offer a sacrifice. Saul couldn't wait just another hour or so before he tried to offer a sacrifice himself. Never once have we seen Saul go to Samuel and say, hey, I need help figuring this out. But now that Samuel's dead, I need help figuring something out, so I'll go to a medium and try and talk to Samuel. It's just messed up. It's just so inconsistent. Saul, Saul's just record, ignored Samuel for the whole time he's been on the scene, pretty much. And now he gets a medium to conduct, to conduct a seance, which is a clear and abhorrent act of filthy sin against holy God to summon a prophet of God, to summon a priest. Now, we don't know why Samuel. There's probably a lot of reasons, but he seems to think that talking to Samuel is suddenly a good idea. As Samuel comes up, the medium gets worried. So she realises who Saul is, and Saul just he doubles down on, I've promised you protection, Nothing's going to happen to you. Plunges further into his sinfulness. Verse 15, Samuel comes up and asks Saul, why why did you call me up? Saul is, to his credit, honest. He spills the beans. He says that he's afraid. He says that the Philistines are there. And he says that God has departed from him. So Samuel, given all of that, Given all of that, knowing all of our history together, knowing I'm facing consequences as a result of my own actions that I still haven't owned up to, I want you to tell me what to do and speak for God in doing this. God who has withheld his counsel from me. You speak for him and tell me what to do. How arrogant is this? Saul seems to think he, demand, he, he has a right to these answers. How belligerently does he just plunge into this sin? Does he really think that Samuel will assist him while he's clearly in the middle of this terrible sin? Does he really think that Samuel, who was so often God's direct spokesperson to the people of Israel, will go against what the Lord has decreed? I mean, Saul's willing to, but Samuel hasn't shown that willingness to go against God. Rightly so. Even now, in the depths of his sin, Saul doesn't realise how bad what he's doing is, and never once do we see him repent. We 
when that medium said to him, Saul has driven out all of the mediums and the spiritists from the land, don't you think that should have pricked Saul's conscience? Wait, what I'm doing is wrong? I need to stop doing this? But he kept going. Perhaps if Saul had repented, it could have changed things. Not keeping him on the throne, that was, that was removed. But perhaps, perhaps this outcome would have been so different. Perhaps Saul's sons and the rest of Israel wouldn't have been dragged through this continual pain and suffering with him. Verses 16 to 19, Samuel does not tell Saul what he wants to know. Samuel will not tell Saul what he wants to know because of a harsh but real and honest and frankly fair spiritual truth. The king of God's people now has God as an enemy because of his actions. The king of Israel has God as an enemy. Samuel goes on, Saul, remember what I said to you from God's direct words. The kingdom has been taken away from you. The kingdom has been given to somebody else. And now Samuel actually says the name David as to who it's been given to. The kingdom has been given to your neighbour David. Consider how Saul has treated David as a runaway slave worthy of death. See how Samuel refers to David, your neighbour, David. He puts him on an equal footing, doesn't he? Saul, you did not keep the Lord's commandments. You followed your own plan, even when a clear set of instructions was given by God. For example, dealing with Amalek where you let the king live even though you're meant to kill him. For none of these things has Saul truly repented. Samuel, when he was alive, had told Saul all these things. Saul knew all of his failures before the Lord, but never repented. He just continues on in the hardness of his heart. It's not looking good for Saul by the end of 18, but then verse 19. 19 is huge. Tomorrow, Saul... The army is going to lose. And you and your sons, you, you'll, be with, you'll be dead. You and your sons. Jonathan and others. The males in your household will suffer because of you. Now we know that Jonathan lost his life. We see that Jonathan was faithful. We know that Jonathan was spiritually safe. Yet the whole house of God, of Saul rather, suffer this tragedy because of Saul's actions. Saul came to seek Samuel via the medium because he was troubled. How much more troubled is he now though? It didn't go according to his plan. Now this is not unfair. This is fair. There are consequences for actions and Saul is feeling that now. There are consequences for continuing in sin when we're told that is sinful, we should turn from that path. Saul is facing all of those consequences right now. 
verse 20, he falls on the ground. He is dreadfully afraid. He hasn't eaten all day. He hasn't eaten all night. What little bits of strength he had left in him just seemed to just drain right out of him. What we see there is a man defeated. What we see there is a man who is broken. What we see there is a man facing the full weight of the consequences for his sin. But what we don't see? Repentance. Saul is lying there with no energy to do anything. He is shattered. He is in great need of comfort. If he would repent, he would find that that beautiful solace that every believer has found in the Lord when we've recognised our brokenness, when we've recognised our sin, when the Spirit has moved us to repent and we find that forgiveness we find God's grace given to us freely. But his heart is hard. What little comfort he can take left in the 24 hours he has left on earth is not found in turning to God once more. So he didn't really go to God, did he? He went to Samuel, not God. Even now, he doesn't go to God. What he does for the tiny dregs of comfort he can find is he takes it from a medium. He takes comfort and hospitality from a medium. A sinful woman who had no right to be in the land of God's people according to God's decree. In some ways, it's it's quite fitting that a man described by Samuel as being the enemy of God only seems to, even with a lot of persuading having said that, he only seems to find a flimsy level of support from another enemy of God. In the end, Saul goes back to the army. He goes back to the army knowing that they're facing certain defeat. Knowing that they're going to lose. Knowing that he and his sons will die. He has no reason to doubt the words of Samuel here because as Samuel spoke the truth according to God's words, it came to pass. There is no hope for Saul. He has completely rejected God. This is a gut-wrenching chapter to read, isn't it? Saul has now completely lost it all. He's dragging his sons with him. He's just waiting for the final blow to come. He's seeing it coming, but he can't do anything about it. What a sad state to be in. This is the man who fought so hard to protect his throne from David's supposed attempts to steal it. Now being left with nothing. God has decreed that this is going to happen and it's going to happen yet even in the hardness 
this stony-heartedness from Saul, there are lessons for us. As we've seen a few times with Saul, we, we shouldn't be surprised to see this sort of hardness accompanying unbelief. We shouldn't be surprised to see a continual rejection of God from those who don't believe. From those who continue to try to do things in their own strength. Even from those who, who like Saul, have, known up, who have grown up knowing God. Learning of God. Being part of worship. Saul was there for so many of those sacrifices offered, but still, he doesn't repent. Still there is unbelief. We know people like this. We should pray for them. Because we see here once more human effort cannot change our spiritual disposition towards God. We see here that no amount of human effort can earn salvation. We see here that no amount of human effort can earn Counsel from God. Pray for people that their hearts might be softened, that the Spirit might work in them to bring them to repentance. We must pray. And just because Saul doesn't repent, think of other examples in Scripture. Think of another Saul in the New Testament. Later became Paul. Murdered Christians hunted them down, was a scourge to the, to the church. God changed his heart. Think of King Manasseh, arguably the worst king that Israel or Judah ever had. God changed his heart. Just because we see Saul doesn't repent does not mean that God cannot bring about repentance in the hearts of those around us. So pray that God might work for salvation. Pray that God might bring people to salvation. And as we do that, consider yourself. Like, like me, we're all a lot, like, a lot like David, aren't we? Where we can go from those moral victories that David had in chapter 26, where his, his innocence in pursuing Saul's life was proven. He did not want to kill Saul, then plunged into moral doubts. He plunged into doubts, he plunged into tragedy. But even from the lowest of lows, God restores, God redeems, and God recovers his children. Saul did not repent. Saul had no, repent, had no protection from the wrath of God. But if we have been moved by the Spirit to repentance which so many of us wonderfully have been. Praise God for that. If we have repented, then we have a beautiful saviour. By right, we should all face that same destruction that Saul faced. That's what we deserve. But our saviour, a sinless one, Jesus Christ himself took upon his shoulders the weight of our sin. 
Rejoice in that. Pray that God might keep us from further sin. Pray that God might protect us from doubts that plague our minds. Pray that should we fall into those things that we might repent. And let's commit ourselves by the grace of God and the inworking of the Holy Spirit to be shining examples of God's tremendous glory to all who we can be. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this chapter in 1 Samuel. It's one that does indeed weigh heavy on our hearts. It's one that deeply challenges us and puts to mind things of eternity. Yet we rejoice in your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the certainty of salvation that we have, that as undeserving as we are, as unable to work out our salvation for ourselves as we are, we have a Saviour who has worked it out for us, a Saviour who has done it for us and now equips us with the Holy Spirit to live for him and to further our standing with you. What a blessing this is to not only be saved, but to grow, to grow in you, to love you more and to appreciate your salvation all the more. We pray, Lord God, that we would be faithful witnesses that others might see how majestic and wonderful you are. Amen.